Harry Abrams is our guest on Creative Innovators this week. I have known Harry for a decade, possibly, of his many decade careers. He is the creator and founder of Abrams Artist, and he has a new book that has come out about how to build a business from his experience of decades of creating Abrams artists from the pieces of MCA when they had to get out of the talent business and all of his trials and travails. We could have talked to Harry for many hours, about a half hour of conversation of some of the key moments of his story of how he got into the talent agency business from a family that didn't know anybody and from UCLA and how he then built the business in a changing world of television, radio, motion pictures, and live theater, and how he found and built a business and helped launch a lot of competitors along the way. Enjoy the conversation with Harry. Of note, we recorded it live in his home, so you'll hear all sorts of interesting background noises, and it needed a lot of cleanup, so be patient with the recording. You'll hear a little bit of a clip, clip, clip of his wonderful little white fluffy dog walking by and a few other wonderful artifacts. So enjoy the recording and enjoy the conversation with Harry Abrams. Harry, how old are you now? I'm 88. 88. I don't really feel that I'm 88. I don't act like I'm 88, but... How old were you when you retired? How old when I, when I retired? I retired five years ago. So, so I want to talk about several things here. You are one of my favorite creative entrepreneurs because you have, you have everything in one crazy career lifetime. You created your own business from nothing. You changed your own business repeatedly and kind of repartnered and rethought about what you were going to do. You had to think about your next generation leadership. You had to think about training people and what the heartbeat is of an entrepreneurial venture in the creative industries. You got to help other people and you got to help figure out what was happening next in changing sectors. All things I find really fascinating. I want to try to hit heartbeats on that because you've, you've had to kind of shift gears many times. How old were you when you, you did your first entertainment well, I started out in the training program at MCA, a talent agency, which was then a talent agency. I came out of UCLA, went into the military for six months, came out of the military, looked for a job. Uh, I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with the story about And it's in the book as well. Couldn't get a job. I was in the midst of a recession, that country was, and now people were being laid off right and left in the entertainment industry. Being at the business school school at UCLA, I learned how to write a letter of inquiry, a letter looking for a job. And I wrote this letter to two agencies that then had training programs. One was MCA, and the other was the William Morris Agency. I applied for a position at both those places, and I was able to get interviews with them, with the personnel directors. Then I had to go through a series of interviews with the department heads, there were 10 department heads, and I had to make myself available when they were available. And so it took about another few months, and you could be rejected anywhere along the way. And this is, by the way, to get into the training program at either of these places, and the pay was $40 a week. 
But I desperately wanted to get in the entertainment industry, not as an artist, not as a performer, but as on the business side. And I went through the process, went through all the interviews, and I finished all the interviews. It took about three months with each one of them. And I got a letter from each of the personnel directors saying, Dear Harry, you've successfully passed our interview process, and we're going to... I assumed that when I opened this letter, I would be offered a job. But uh, they said, we're going to put you on a list of approved applicants. And when your name rises to the top of the list, don't call us, we'll call you. And I said, well, how long is that going to take? A week, two weeks, a month, six months, a year? We can't tell you. That is what they said. Just don't call us, we'll call you. So I had to find a job at that point because I came from a very poor family. My father worked in a print shop and my mother worked at uh, Thompson Raymond Wooldridge, TRW. I must admit, I've never known what TRW stood for, so that's good to know. We were coming from a very poor family, and so we had no contacts in the talent agency or in the entertainment industry as a whole. When I I fainted dead away at the pre-med at the hospital and went to UCLA, the counseling bureau, they came up with the idea that I had no interest in any field of science, but that I had a strong interest in entertainment and in business, and so that's what I decided to focus on. And so I wrote these letters, got an interview with these people, and my mother and father said, entertainment? What was entertainment then? Was it live theater or film? What year was this? It was live theater. It was feature film. It was television. Mm -hmm. They were all three active areas of entertainment. And musical performers, the recording industry and all that, the concerts, that's an area that I never got into, or that I didn't want to get into personal appearances and concerts. Anyway, so I and my mother and father said, so get a job already, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> and, and so my uncle, he worked at Thrifty Drugstore. And Thrifty Drugstore uh, had a chain of 80 stores up and down California. And he was in charge of housewares. He bought housewares for the company and distributed them. And one of the items that he bought were, were power lawnmowers. And he dealt with a company, a man by the name of Maury, Maury Loger was his name. I remember his name vividly. And he owned a power lawnmower production company in Richmond, Indiana, a small farming town 70 miles due east of Indianapolis on the Ohio border. Uh, Mr. Loger came into town, and my uncle introduced me to him. And Mr. Loger said, Hey, would you, I'm going to offer you a job. You're looking for a position. I'd like you to come to work for me at the Power Lumber Company in Richmond, Indiana. It was called the George W. Davis, G.W. Davis Lawnmower Company. I took the job. I had never been to that. I'd really not been out of Los Angeles at all, with the exception of my six months in the service, which was in San Antonio, Texas. I was, I'd always heard about the Midwest and how people were, the values were really terrific and wonderful people came out of the Midwest. So I took him up on his job offer. It was $120 a week, a lot more than $40 a week. And I moved to Richmond, Indiana, a small town, maybe 15,000, 20,000 people, a farming town. And I went to work at this company. And I worked at this company doing everything and anything dealing with manufacturing and production and sales and distribution. And he had about 150 factory workers there. 
and uh, there was a superintendent who ran the place, and I was kind of uh, Mr. Lober's. Uh, he, he didn't have any children. He was married, but he didn't have any children. And he grew to take me in like his son. And I did everything and anything to do with production of lawnmowers. I was in charge of purchasing. I purchased all the raw goods that went into the lawnmowers. I dealt with all kinds of suppliers around the country. One day, my mother calls me about 14 months, a year and two months into my stay in Richmond, Indiana. She says, I have a letter here from the William Morris Agency. So I said, well, open it up. She opened it up and said, dear Harry, your name has risen to the top of the list. And uh, you have 72 hours to accept the position to come into our training program. The pay is $40 a week. And during my, he said, you have 72 hours to accept the job or not. If you don't take the job in 72 hours, we're going to go on to the next person on the list. Well, during my interview process with the 10 department heads, uh, my perception of the caliber and the quality of the agents at MCA versus William Morris, I felt that the agents at MCA were far superior, were brighter, sharper, more aggressive, etc. And so I took a calculated risk and I turned the offer down. But before I turned the offer down, I spoke to my mother and father, and they said, $125, you're making $125 to take a job for $40. This is ridiculous. I called Mr. Bober to tell him he was in New York. I was going to be leaving. I was handing him my letter of resignation for two weeks' notice. And he said, you haven't accepted the job yet, have you? And I said, well, why do you ask? He said, because I'm on an airplane the next day of flying in to meet with you. I, I'm going to try to persuade you to the contrary. So he came in and took me out to dinner the next night. And he said, you're going to take a job for $40 a week. You're making $125 a week. He then began to reevaluate just how bright I was. And uh, he said, you know what? I'm going to double the salary. I'm going to make it $250 a week. Which was a lot of money at that time. Which was a lot of money at that time, especially for a young person like myself. Mm-hmm. And I turned him down. I told him, Mr. Lober, my heart is in the entertainment industry. That's what I want to get into. So I've got to, I've got to leave. And, and I left two weeks later. I moved to Los Angeles. I went to work in the training program. At, at, at NMCA that you ended up accepting that one? NMCA called about four months later. And your name is written to the top of the list. You have 24 hours to accept the position. I said, I don't need 24 hours, Mr. Zuck. When do I start? And I took that job. Uh, for $40 a week. I left the job for $250 a week. And that's where I started. I started in the training program at MCA, which had a very sophisticated, well-structured training program. Six guys worked in the mailroom. I came in as a number six guy, and you had to work your way up. And what the, when they got up to the number one position, department, I'm going to pause you a second and ask a few questions. One of them is, You've three times talked about the people, the, the caliber of the people, the, and very specific of remembering names. I know you're working on your books. You would, some of those you remember possibly even more vividly. Has that been a recurring thread thereafter that the quality of people has been a driving factor for you? Oh, no question about it. I do. I really enjoy dealing with the quality of people, what kind of people they are, what their education has been what their degree of success has been, what field that they're in. I'm always interested in people who have developed, have, have 
move themselves along have been motivated by success and advancement and earning more money. And so the quality of the people has always been very important to me. The caliber and the quality of the people at MCA were far superior to the people at. People can argue with me about that. That's my opinion. And you, well, you got to live with it afterwards as well and spend a lot of time in this space. So let me then sort of take you through one sort of sidebar question, which is the getting started in entertainment. Sometimes it's who you know. You've definitely told the opposite story here. You've told a story of persistence. What skills did you find really helped you in your first five years? Human relations, getting along with people, being able to accept just about anyone for whatever they do. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy seeing how people have uh, molded their lives and uh, their, their professional lives, their family lives. And I've always tried, I've admired people who've had those successes. And, and so I found myself being, getting closer with people who have done that. And it also instilled in me a desire to become successful as they have become. So I guess that's the way I would answer that. Success is what? Success in achievement of the type of work that you did, the caliber and the level at which you did it, and success also in financial success as well. And also success in, I was in the talent agency business when I could be successful of finding an artist and helping move their career along to where they became a star. That to me was tremendous success and a great deal of achievement. So you left MCA to start what was the first of your own sort of pieces of a company. What triggered your departure? It wasn't that I left MCA. <laughs> MCA left me. Okay. Uh, Lou Washman ran the business of the company at that time. And uh, MCA, they bought Universal Pictures, Universal Studios, all of the property, all the sound stages, all of the library, everything that Universal owned. And so they were buying all of their talent at Universal from their talent agency for several months, maybe, maybe even a year or two. And the other agencies, like the William Morris Agency and ICM and other talent agencies, were having trouble getting in the front door selling any talent to MCA. So, I mean, to Universal. So what happened is they felt that they had become a... They become a... A monopoly of sorts? So they uh, filed a lawsuit against MCA saying that they were in violation of the Sherman Clayton Antitrust Act. They were a monopoly. And as a result, it took a long period of time. The wheels of justice grind very slowly, as they say. And it took two or three years for that lawsuit to make its way through whatever different levels of law that that were in existence. And they finally got to, Jack Kennedy was president at the time, Robert Kennedy was the attorney general, and it was his lawsuit against MCA. And finally they came to the conclusion, the government did, U.S. government, that they were in violation, MCA was in violation of the Sherman Clinton Antitrust Act. They were a monopoly. And they said to MCA, the edict came down after two or three years, you either have to stay in the talent agency business 
or you stay in motion picture and television production. You cannot be in both. And so it was a fairly easy decision for MCA, the parent company, to make at that time because the gross dollar revenue for Universal, I mean, for MCA, was much smaller. <laughs> some odd million dollars. Uh, whereas uh, the growth. I was going to say, though, the talent agency business hadn't yet grown to what it's become in the, in the various scale that it's become. So you had, at that point in time, what level of success had you risen to at this point in time? You had your own clients. You had your own uh, expertise. You, you mean when? Uh, at that point in time, when the when split. Mm -hmm. By the way, the directive from the government said to MCA, the parent company, you cannot just dismiss and terminate all of your employees, all of your agents. You have to offer them all positions in production, motion picture and television production at Universal. And so all of the employees, there were, I don't know, a couple thousand around the world, if that many, everyone was offered a position, including myself, to go into motion picture or television production. I, and I'd say about 90% of the agents all went into motion picture oh, wow. television production. Yeah. They were the immediate job with a salary, et cetera. But I had been working with this gentleman by the name of Noel Rubeloff in the, moved out of the mailroom into that division or that department of the agency that dealt with um, commercials, radio and television commercials. It dealt with uh, MCs, hosts of game shows, quiz shows, audience participation shows radio personalities. It was an area of the business that most talent agencies didn't want to get into. Most talent agencies wanted to be in motion pictures and television production or theater production, much more glamorous. And But I liked working with Rubeloff. He was eight years my senior. And I liked working with him in that area of the business at MCA. And I'd been there for about, I don't know, maybe four or five, six years roughly at that point. I decided, I went to him. He was eight years my senior, as I say. I said, I think this is a great time for us to open up our own shop. And because all the clientele that we were representing were going to be without agents, they needed agency representation. So I said, I think we should not go into motion picture and television production and open our own shop. And that's what, I, that's what we did. We opened our own agency. It was called Abrams Rubeloff and Associates. And even though he was my senior by eight years and had much more experience than I, I did, uh, when we went to open our bank account at City National Bank, they said, what do you want to call your bank account? I popped up and I said, well, my last name is A.B. We'll be first on every list. I think we should call it Abrams Rubeloff. And Rubeloff readily agreed to that. Or didn't move fast enough. <laughs> anyway, so that's how it came to be known. And we started our business in Los Angeles, and I used to fly to New York to fly to Madison Avenue. I covered Madison Avenue with a, like a blanket, dealing with all kinds of ad agencies, marketing our clientele. Radio and television commercials was our biggest source of revenue and income in those days. Although we did do a healthy business in MCs and hosts, game shows, quiz shows, audience participation shows. Bob Barker, for example, was one of our clients. People like Gary Owens and Jack Nars and Tom Kennedy. You won't recognize these names. But well, I will, but not all of our listeners. Well, yeah, not all of the listeners. 
And we had to, that specialization was special to us. There weren't any other agencies that, well, there were smaller agencies, one person, two person shops. When we went out on our own, we had three or four employees. And so we started building the company and, and, it, and it was successful. And I used to, I was the one in Los Angeles who would travel to New York all the time to go up and down Madison Avenue. No little off. Could care less about New York City. So you 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 are someone who steps into risk. Risk makes you happy, or you're comfortable with risk, or what makes it so that you're you're willing to step into a new situation? It's attractive to me because if I feel that I can, I've made it's a big achievement, and go into something new, and make it into something successful. So I didn't mind risk at all. I really enjoyed it competition. I enjoyed business as a whole, but I really was fascinated by business in the entertainment industry. But again, not I didn't want to get into production. That I felt was too much of a risk. But being that we had developed a terrific talent agency with outstanding clientele in a specialized area that most other talent agencies were not in. So I, I enjoyed the risk. And the reward. And of course, the rewards, of course, yes. There's, there's no rewards without any risk. So in this saga, because the saga, I think, moves as well into it becoming Abrams' artist, what were the, first, what were the main struggles that you went through in having your own business? Well, we did have uh, competition. William Morris Agency had a department or a division that did the same thing that we did. DM had a similar to CAA. Didn't have that department at that time. I found talent. I found developed artists. We became very well known. And eventually, Rubeloff and I were together for about 14, 15 years. And at one point in our, in our partnership, we broke up, and and he and I opened up Abrams Artists at that point. In other words, instead of being Abrams, we were off. And I continued to build, and I really enjoyed not only finding talent, performing talent artists, but I also enjoyed finding talented people, and I liked to train them and, and give them opportunities for growth and advancement like I had I had, had myself. And so that was one of my, that was the biggest motivation for writing my book, was to provide some sort of a, a where people would want to uh, perhaps consider coming out with a school with a master's degree in business, or maybe having gone into business after, or gone into some form of employment after college and finding either with an undergraduate or graduate degree and finding that they what that thrill were happy with their career choice. So after three or four years, they began to look elsewhere. When you, when they want to get in the entertainment industry, they didn't even think about the fact. They assumed everything was in production. But the key part of the entertainment industry that I think that drove it, in my humble opinion, were the, were the talent agencies. And so I wanted to train people to become talent agents and help people find career choices, career paths in entertainment other than uh, performing, other than as an artist. When we first met now was a few years ago, 
And uh, you at the time, I remember, were really looking at new technologies and getting your agents involved in things like early internet, YouTube, early social media, social media, early influencer work. How did you figure which technologies were ready for you guys to lean into? Well, I think it kind of developed on its own. Uh, social media uh, became important. Uh, I myself have not. I'm not in any of those forms of social media myself personally. In those particular fields, influencers became very, very important. Influencers are the outgrowth of social media. And influencers are people that earn great sums of money. And they have representatives, agents, managers who manage them and help move their careers along. And I felt that that was an area that I wanted to dip my toe into, I dip my toe in, and I began to look for people. I, I myself didn't do it. I hired someone who was a younger person than I, who was much more knowledgeable and conversant with social media than I was, and I hired him to run that department or division of the agency. It's interesting because not only do those influencers, uh, I mean, as influencers, they are very much in demand or can become very much in demand as a result of social media. But a number of them also were uh, hosts, or potential hosts, MCs, uh, people of that nature. And so I felt it was very similar to what uh, our clientele were all about. I spent time developing a division or a department of the agency. And that department or division of the agency grew to be the most productive of the entire, the most productive of the entire income or revenue of the agency was that department or that division. So I invited my mother and my father to come into my office one day and to sit there or stand there and watch me work and see what I did every day and how I dealt with people and not only our clientele, the people that we had to sell our clientele to. And so I was on the, I had meetings with people, our, our clients who were, who were very demanding. And at the end of about a week, my father said to me, both of them said at the same time, Harry, you're actually practicing medicine every day of the week. You're dealing with crazy people. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, my dad said, you can hang your shingle right outside your office door. Harry Abrams, MD. <laughs> being an agent, being a good psychologist and social psychologist and understanding how everybody's interior nuts and bolts work. So I totally see that. When did you think you were successful? Well, uh, when I thought it was successful when MCA broke up, it was very fortuitous that they broke up that we were able to go out. On. I figured we had uh, of an area of the business we had very little competition in. And so I felt we were, uh, I don't know how one measures success, but we were able to pay our bills and employ people and still have money left to profit. Always good. And have your own time, but your time is oftentimes your clients. So you then had, you, you retired later than a lot of people. How did you, considering that this business was in many ways tied in with you, even though you hired great people and trained them to work for you, how was that process 
of moving the company to the next generation. And I know they're wonderful folks and they will hear this, but how did you go through the process of thinking about the next generation of the company? Well, first of all, we started out in a particular area, which was a very small area of the business. And the larger area of the business is when one moves into with, with performers. Because you ended up in almost every area of the business by the time that, that you got to be a multi-city, multi-space multi company. Advertising and commercial at the end of our business became a very small end of our business. And, uh, and we became a full-fledged talent agency in Los Angeles, I mean, in New York initially, where I was only in New York to begin with. I used to fly out to Los Angeles and sell that market our talent in L.A. And eventually I felt we needed to have an office here. And I hired a couple of people from one of our competitors. The Gersh Agency had two guys, Scott Harris and Howard Goldberg, guys that I used to send my talent to from New York because we didn't have an L.A. office. We'd send them out there. And so they became an affiliate or corresponding talent agency for us. And so we were very close to them when they were at the Gersh office. And then I hired them away. And we set up an office in L.A. under, under our um, title. It was called Abrams. And I, I put their names on the door, Abrams, Harris, and Gold. Because I was not there under Screen Actors Guild regulations, rules and regulations, someone has to be name value in each of the offices. Mm. So I put their names on the door, even though they had no financial or any equity interest in the company. And what happened is uh, we continued to grow and prosper. And the first year I had to, uh, they, they were two young guys, much younger than I was. They didn't know how to run a business. So I would spend a week in L.A. and a week in New York and help them build uh, the business in L.A. But again, they had their names on the door. So people, you know, prospective artists would, would assume that they were at an equity, even though they did not. And what took place is continued to grow and grow and grow. After about five years, the two fellows, Howard Goldberg and... Scott Harris felt that they didn't really need me any longer. So they went ahead and set up their own business and under the name of originally Harris and Goldberg until unfortunately Howard Goldberg passed away at an early age from AIDS, unfortunately. And so they changed the name instead of it being Harris and Goldberg, they changed it to Innovative Artists. And that's the name that they have shared. I have kept today, Scott Harris, who owns and runs that business today. So that was an example of hiring people that then grew into their own business. How did you grow your succession management at Abrams Artists? Who? Well, and I continued to grow uh, and adding more agents from our training program, adding more important clientele, developing them into important stars in their own right. We would develop them. It wasn't always me selling talent that we got from another agency. And the agency continued to grow. When I sold the business five years ago now, there were about 150 people working for the company. 
between New York and LA. And in all kinds of different divisions or departments, the only area, I mean, including literary, including theater, motion pictures, actors, actresses, the only area that we did not get into was the area of music and concerts and personal appearances. And, and I really just enjoyed that growth. And we also began to sell, uh, we developed a literary department as well. I wasn't running it myself. I hired literary agents and built the literary department to be very successful. And we would sell talent, uh, writers and directors, producers, but also we would sell packages where we would represent the entire package of writer, director, producer, actors, actresses, etc. So you, and I'm, I'm going to keep nudging people to get the book because you tell lots of stories and there are people you moved into and helped along with their career. What might be a couple things that you're the most proud of from that work? Well, I've actually fostered, parented many, not many, but several successful talent agencies of their own today. So I'm very proud of that. Even though they became competitors, we had, I grew trained agents within the, our company. They worked there three, four, five years, six, seven, eight years, 10 years. And then they went out on their own and grew their own businesses. So I'm very proud of that. Even though they became competition, I was delighted that I had been uh, helpful in uh, teaching them, training them, providing them with a career path uh, where they could earn themselves a good, make a good living. Is there anything that you, of course, could talk for hours on this long, wonderful career you've had and the great journey you've had? What haven't we mentioned that might be a good thing to wrap us up here? I'm very proud of that I have found uh, a number of performers, artists, actors, and actresses, name talent, have built them from literally nothing up to becoming valuable entities in their own right. We may not represent them any longer, or I didn't, uh, because the large corporate agencies would come, and we were kind of the people that built their careers, and then when they got to be big enough, large enough, and bring in enough of an income, that a large corporate agency would come after them and steal them away from us. And it wasn't always the case. But I'm proud of the fact that there are several artists, name artists today, that I'm responsible for. Even though I've been out of the business for five years, but I helped build their careers. And I'm very pleased with the fact that I played a hand, a major hand, in developing them into desirable, in-demand artists who are paid great sums of money for their services. And are nice people as well. They're very grateful for the fact that, uh, I wouldn't say all of them are grateful, but <laughs> I think they're grateful for the fact that uh, Abrams or Bloff or Howard Abrams have played an important part in their livelihood and where they're at today. Well, you are at all sorts of interesting things now, including being involved here in arts in Los Angeles and continuing to have a touch point of arts a bit in New York when you get out there. If people would like to find your work, we're going to put in the show notes links to people to find your book, 
Harry, it's great talking to you. I always find joy in it. And it's been great to see this book to come fruition and find success. So it's wonderful. And if anybody wants to find the book, we'll have all the links in the show notes. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint. So we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content, where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators, as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024.